Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Well, welcome everyone to CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast, where on this theme, we consider women in words, Bible translation, and why it matters with our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Miller. Jeff leads CBE's Bible translation project and has been involved on this particular project for a number of years. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jeff, he served as our academic editor of CBE's Priscilla Papers and continues to serve as an assistant to the current editor, Havila Dharamraj. Jeff holds a bachelor's degree in pastoral ministry and church music, uh, an MDiv and a PhD in biblical interpretation. And since 1999, he has taught biblical studies at Milligan University in Eastern Tennessee. He's a member of the Evangelical Theological Society and has published articles in journals such as the Bible Translator, Levin Restoration Quarterly, Stone Campbell Journal, CBE's Mutuality, and Priscilla Papers. He and his wife, Dana, have two adult children and five grandchildren. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Mimi. Thanks for inviting me back to the Mutuality Podcast. Um, So last month, we discussed CBE's translation project, its nature, its importance, and several examples uh, pointing at those things. And I thought that this time we would start and spend our time together talking about Bible translation in general. That sounds great. Uh, What are some of the main questions people ask when they consider Bible translation? So in my experience, there are two questions that compete for being the most common questions asked. Okay. The first one is, don't we have enough English translations already? (laughs) Now, this one is usually asked when a person finds out about a new translation project, such as the revision of the NRSV that came out in 2021, or the revision of the New Living Translation that is right now in its early stages, or Scott McKnight's translation of the New Testament, which is coming out in June. The subtitle of that is actually a new translation. Mm. So someone hears about this. And either sincerely or maybe sarcastically, they say, don't we have enough translations already? Right, right. Well, if the person is who is asking that question is reading a translation other than Wycliffe from the 1300s, and of course they are, then they've already planted a seed or already on the way to answering their own question. Or if they're not reading William Tyndale from the 1500s, I, I think you see where I'm going. Now, right. the country leading up to the King James Bible was kind of like today. There were English translations becoming available with surprising frequency. The second question, which vies for being the most common, and I'll spend more time on this one, I think, is what's the best translation? Hmm. Now, there are some clever ways to answer this. One is that the best Bible is 
the one that actually gets read. I've heard that several times. Mm-hmm. There's an old hymn. I don't know. My mother's Bible. Mm-hmm. That's the best one. And there's certainly truth in that. The best translation is the one you read or the read to you, the one that plays a major role in forming you. Mm-hmm. But that's not, of course, exactly what people mean when they ask, what's the best translation? The question is typically asked of a pastor, uh, a Bible scholar, and the answer will usually begin, and I think this is the right way to begin, by pointing out that there is no best translation. Right. There are numerous ways to evaluate a Bible. Different translations are made for different audiences and purposes. Think about a children's Bible, for example. And now think about the Bible that a a seminary student learning Hebrew might choose. They're very different, but neither one is the best. Hmm. When it comes to egalitarian concerns, the common English Bible rises to the top, in my opinion. And the NIV and the NRSV, the New International Version, the New Revised Standard Version, are not far behind, each in its own way. One way that I like to answer this question is that the best translation, and please, even though you can't see me, note that I'm putting air quotes around best there, since I already said there is no best. (laughs) But the air quotes best translation is one that comes with commentary. I'm not talking about study Bibles, though they are also important. In a study Bible, the notes are not usually written by the translators. And they're not really about translation. They may be about historical background or devotion or theology. I'm talking about commentary series in which the commentator both translates the Bible and explains. Most of these are highly academic. And to own the whole series would be quite expensive, but not all of them. Um, Consider, for example, N.T. Wright's series on the New Testament. The titles are Matthew for Everyone, Mark for Everyone, Luke for Everyone, John uh, for Everyone, then Paul for Everyone. And he does the translation, and then he explains the text. So you know that there's a correspondence between the translation at the top of the page and then the explanation at the bottom. His translation, by the way, is available in an updated form without the commentary at BibleGateway.com. It's abbreviated NTE, New Testament for Everyone. Yeah. And of course, as I explained in last month's podcast, CBE's translation project will indeed include translation oriented commentary. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you, Jeff. So, what would you say are some of the main differences between the several popular English translations, some of which you've cited already? Well, as I've said, there are various ways to describe and evaluate translations. 
One of those is the spectrum from formal to functional. And let me begin my explanation of these terms with a few broad statements. First, it is a spectrum. No English translation is fully formal, and no English translation is fully functional. Taking those words in their technical sense that I'll explain in a moment. Second, where a translation falls on the spectrum is not an indicator of how good or bad it is. There are excellent formal translations, and there are excellent functional translations. Right. Third, CBE's translation project leans towards functional. But in certain places, we have intentionally been formal. So again, it's a spectrum, and we shouldn't be pegged at one end, one end or the other. And, and that claim will hopefully make more sense as I continue on. So let's turn to formal. Word formal here is short for the phrase formal equivalence. It refers to translations that highly value the form of the text. For the most part, these forms that I'm talking about are words, phrases, and sentences. Sometimes the forms might even include parts of words. I don't necessarily think that's appropriate, but sometimes a translation philosophy would go that, that focused. And mm -hmm. You might think that a, talking about a text form would mean larger things, like the shape of paragraphs and whole passages. But that's not typically how the word is used in this context. Now, while no translation is utterly formal, those that lean that way will tend to translate nouns as nouns, participles as participles, imperatives as imperatives, etc. That might sound self-evident, but we'll say more about that in a bit. Uh, they will strive to retain the word order, or at least the phrase and clause order, as much as possible. They will resist leaving any Greek word untranslated, and they often italicize English words that have no corresponding Greek word. Now, to be clear, formal here doesn't necessarily imply formal in the sense of fancy or good grammar high church or archaic. So we don't mean formal as opposed to casual. Next, let's go on to functional, the other end of the spectrum. It's short for functional equivalence, just like formal was short for formal equivalence. An older term, uh, and one that I still use and sometimes prefer, is dynamic equivalence. But functional is more popular these days, and so I'll use that. The core idea here is to replicate a text's intended impact. If the Greek text was intended to spark joy, then the translated text should spark joy. If the Hebrew text was intended to prompt repentance, then the translated text should prompt repentance. 
A functional equivalence Bible feels no need to translate a noun as a noun, a verb as a verb, etc. Instead, it respects that there's significant difference between the two languages, the one being translated from and the one being translated to. Now, the work of ministries such as Wycliffe Bible Translators, Pioneer Bible Translators, and the United Bible Societies, these ministries that translate the Bible into languages all around the world, these typically fall near the functional end of the spectrum, even more so than an English translation would. In English, the New American Standard Bible, NASB, is often claimed to be the most formal. The ESV, English Standard Version, and NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, also claim some some version of the formal designation. The NIV is in the middle. The Common English Bible, CEB, leans toward functional. And the best place to go to experience an English Bible that is intentionally, functionally equivalent is the Contemporary English Version, published by the American Bible Society, in 1995 it's abbreviated cev which is easily to mix easy to mix up with ceb <laughs> and uh all these that i've just mentioned are available available like at bible gateway or mm -hmm. blue letter bible or other places that have multiple translations wow this is you've given us a lot to think about jeff and of course a burning question for me is which bible translation do you read Oh, good question. Um, so if I'm going to listen, so I'm broadening out your question, to large chunks of text, like listen uh, to a whole gospel or listen on a road trip, I will mm -hmm. often pick a really old one, like at least as old as the King James, because it's just interesting to hear the different mm -hmm. languages, the language. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many things about it will catch my attention and make me think, man, I need to look that up later. Mm -hmm. If I'm preparing for class, especially like, like Greek class, mm -hmm. um, then I will work usually work on screen and I'll have the Greek text and three or four translations up. Mm -hmm. mm. wow. And the three or four would be the NRSV, which is pretty formal, the NIV, which is in the middle, the Common English Bible, which is more toward functional. And sometimes the screen gets a bit more cluttered and I'd have a couple others. Yeah. Uh, well, if I was going to preach, which I don't do very often, I'm not a preacher, but if I'm preparing for that kind of a thing, then I would probably use the Bible that that congregation uses. Very wise, very wise. Well, I I love this program of yours, and I have all my life tried to read a different translation every year. And I was particularly struck by the elegance of the Jerusalem Bible, which I'm told was edited by J.R. Tolkien. So, oh. So why don't we we'll let our listeners think about that for a while over the break, 
as we stop for a moment for some additional information on the work of CBE. CBE is headed to Brazil in July 2023 to host an international conference that promotes women's biblical equality and shared leadership in the home, church, and world. At CBE conferences, people come together from countries around the world to explore egalitarian theology historically, biblically, and socially. Many conference attendees come from backgrounds where women's equal authority is not accepted in the home, church, or workplace, and where theological patriarchy encourages the subjugation of women and girls, resulting in abuse. It is crucial that we provide conference scholarships so students, pastors, and those who cannot afford the registration fee can attend to receive egalitarian resources and encouragement from an international network of scholars, leaders, and practitioners to empower their life, work, and studies. We need your help to educate more people through CBE conferences so they will advocate for women's biblical equality and proclaim the liberation that women and men have through Christ. $70,000 is needed for scholarships and planning costs for Brazil 2023. Come alongside CBE to help scholarship recipients and all conference attendees engage in the conversation for women's biblical equality and for them to build awareness of the abuse of theological patriarchy. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jeff Miller talking about words and why they matter, uh, Bible translation and women. So, Jeff, uh, can you give us some examples of the project you oversee, CBE's Bible Translation Project? Yeah, I would be glad to. Um, First, an example of how our work is functionally equivalent. Mm -hmm. Before break, I said that that's the way we lean, but that doesn't mean it's always the way things turn out. Proverbs 31, 23, which is in the middle of the famous poem about a woman of strength, says, her husband is known in the gates. That's the King James Version. It's very similar to most versions. And let me first say, and this is a very small thing, but let me throw it in, that any translation that says in the gates or in the city gates rather than at the gates or at the city gates is formal. These, the three translations I mentioned earlier that self-identify as formal, the King James, the ESV, to a slightly lesser extent, the NRSV, They all say in instead of at. They are opting for a mechanical mimicking of the Hebrew preposition in at the expense of how English speakers talk. Whereas a Bible that says at is such a small thing, but we get these little clues as you read. You know, a Bible that says at is taking a small step away from how they learned that preposition on a vocabulary quiz years and years ago. (laughs) And instead, they're respecting the fact that English speakers wouldn't usually say in the gates. Well, let's get to the gates instead of the preposition. Um, The contemporary English version, the one that I called intentionally functionally equivalent, says this at this same place, uh, Proverbs 31. 23. Her husband is a well-known and respected leader in the city. Mm. Notice that it doesn't mention gates. Right. 
and it translates one Hebrew word, known, with a seven-word phrase, is a well-known and respected leader. Right. So that's a perfect example of functionally equivalent. That's not our translation. Uh, you asked for an example from our work, so let me get back to that. CBE's Old Testament team translates the first half of Proverbs 31:23 this way. Her husband is renowned in the public square. Mm -hmm. So they have changed gates to public square. Hmm. Because public square matches the function of city gates, even though it's not the same word. Right. Very exciting. Now, moving down a few verses, in the last verse of Proverbs 31, we have two examples of functional equivalence. In the first line, where the ESV, the English Standard Version, for example, has give her the fruit, excuse me, give her of the fruit of her hands. That little of there that I almost missed is indication of formal equivalence. Mm -hmm. To say it the way the Hebrew does instead of the way English would. Give her of the fruit of her hands. But our Old Testament team has said, yes, give her what she is due. Notice mm -hmm. that fruit and hands are not in the translation yes give her what she is due so you've used these metaphors well you've just really interpreted the metaphors in very pragmatic and um in in, in our own context right so it's just right okay yeah and you know one of the factors here is that english is spoken all around the world mm. uh as you know and I don't mean everywhere. I just mean in many places around the world. And depending on how well you know the Bible and how well you know the King James and what English-speaking culture you're from, fruit of her hands might make sense and it might not. Right. In that same verse, right at the end of the book of Proverbs, um, in the second line, it's uh, it, it the gates come back. Uh, the Hebrew mentions the gates again, this time about the woman, not about her husband. And the Old Testament team has translated it, let her works praise her in the public square. Mm. And it ends with an exclamation point. I mean, the Old Testament CBE team has put an exclamation point. And that's a small thing. But again, it's just one of these little clues. It is much more likely that a a functionally oriented translation would use punctuation like an exclamation point or use bullet points or something else that's beyond the standard mm -hmm. than that a formal one would. Mm -hmm. So those are some examples of how our work is functionally equivalent. But as I said, it's a spectrum. <laughs> so let's walk through an example from the New Testament a parable from Luke 13. Our translation of it is quite formal. I didn't necessarily realize that until I was looking back through it, and I, it follows the parable word for word. I mean, our translation follows the Greek pretty much word for word. 
I'll read it to you and I'll make a couple of comments. So this is Luke 13, 18 through Luke 13, 21. Then Jesus asked, what is God's reign like? Well, let me pause there. Most Bibles say kingdom. And that's not really a formal functional distinction. The Greek word can be translated kingdom and it can be translated reign and neither one is more literal than the other mm -hmm. i'll back up and start again then jesus asked what is god's reign like and to what should i compare it now let me interrupt myself this is a very small point but and to what should i compare it that's pretty formal meaning it's good grammar we would normally say, and what should I compare it to? Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's a side point. That's not what formal means in translation talk. Let me start a third time. Then Jesus asked, what is God's reign like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a person took and planted in their garden. Now, person there translates the Greek word for person, mm -hmm. anthropos, mm -hmm. not the Greek word for man, on air. And one of the dangers of a formal translation is that you tell your readers, we're going to be literal, we're going to be formal, we're going to be word for word. Mm -hmm. And so you set them up to assume that that's true. And so most formal translations will say man right there. And that would prompt most people to think, well, that must be what it is. Right. Let me start at 19 again. It is like a mustard seed that a person took and planted in their garden. It grew and became like a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. That of the sky there, that's us being formal. Mm -hmm. The Greek text, so it's in our text. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you left it out, it doesn't change the meaning. Right. We all know birds fly around the sky, make nests and branches. Verse 20. Again, he said, to what will I compare God's reign? It is like yeast that a woman took and hid in 30 kilograms of flour until all of it was leavened. Mm. We had a discussion about whether to use pounds or kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the Americans on the team assumed we would use pounds, and, but there's a lot of people <laughs> who think in terms of kilograms. Yeah. And neither one, of course, is in the Greek text. That there is, I guess, a little bit functional because it's trying to represent ancient units of measure with modern units of measure. Right. So for that, that those two parables, I guess with the exception of kilograms, um, <laughs> we just stuck with it and didn't get functional at all, so to speak. Yeah. Now, in the ways in which you make decisions around 
functional and formal, how does this play into the overarching theme of the translation as a whole, that is to reach English speakers of a certain educational level, Jeff? Yeah, good question. So there's a major trajectory or goal and a minor trajectory or goal that are sometimes at odds. The major one is what you just said, that we want to reach English-speaking people all around the world, even if English is not their first or second language, mm -hmm. even if they don't have formal Bible training uh, or don't have a significant amount of Bible training. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things push us toward the functional. Uh, but the other trajectory, which it could be the major one if we wanted it to, but we don't, so we, we try to keep it more muted, is that some people who know Greek or Hebrew are going to read this. And they, some people who may be skeptical of our work and know Greek or Hebrew, or at least have studied it for a year, are going to look at this. And they're going to see our translation. And in a few, some places, they're going to think that's not right. And they're going to open up their Greek Bible and with the kind of the impulse to prove us wrong. Mm hmm and we want them to see that Hebrew or Greek text and think, oh, wait a second. <laughs> They're right. <laughs> and so that reins us in sometimes. We're like, well, we better be formal right here. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really small example of that in this parable. It's not an egalitarian concern. It's just a really small example. Um, our translation says, it grew and became like a tree. Did you notice it became like a tree? It doesn't, I mean, that's mm -hmm. formal. I mean, that's, there is a word in the text between became and tree. <laughs> and we have represented it here. Right. So I guess we were kind of in formal mode that day. But I think you see what I'm saying, that we want the, the cynical crowd, or at least the uh, curious crowd, to be mm -hmm. able to put our translation alongside the Greek or Hebrew and see that we really have worked from that. Right. And really, one of the goals, as I understand it, is the team wants to inform not just English readers uh, around the world, whether English is their first, second, or third language, but also to help translation teams as a whole consider other options, better options. Yes, yes, indeed. That that would be such a blessing, wouldn't it, to down the road know that uh, CBE's work on this influenced mm. current translation projects, future translation projects, maybe even ones that are quite a ways in the future. Right. Well, that's our prayer, and thank you for the important role that you've played in all of this, and to our team as a whole who have just been just gloriously uh, consistent and devoted and hardworking. And I can't 
imagine, I mean, I think about the trajectory of women around the world who have been encouraged to read the Greek in, or to read the Bible in the original Greek and Hebrew, which as Catherine Bushnell was starting her movement, advocating for women's leadership in all spheres, she did run a short a several week course on learn to read Greek in eight or 10 weeks. And she sent out ways to do that effectively. And in the hopes that women could interpret the Bible on their own and not fall prey to more uh, patriarchal uh, ways of reading scripture. And I, I feel like maybe your team is, this team is particularly a part of that trajectory of putting the word of God into the hands of those who it for whom it impacts the most, right? Yes, that's a good way to say it. Thank you. Well, we just want to thank you again, Jeff. I know you'll be back in no time for your important work. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all of you who are listening in. Stay tuned to the new episodes coming up weekly in our incredible team of podcast co-hosts. Meanwhile, please go to the show notes where you can learn more about Jeff and his work and organizations and work cited. And check out our website, www.cbe International, where you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, listen to audio, recordings of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog and journals. And visit our bookstore where you have just, you could read for months and months, as people have told me. I'm Amy Haddad, and many thanks to Landon, our technical support, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. This is Mutuality Matters, and thank you for listening. God bless, and pray for us as we pray for you. Bye-bye. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 